as far as the entertainers gravitating to it, that is the cultural movement where others would easily simulate that generation. And they were fierce. The exes had the opportunity to walk through the door because our generation opened it up. We might've had a little turbulence because our parents gave us the opportunity and then they just walked through it and like knocked it down. So I feel like now it's more of, they actually don't know the history of the movement, the generation now that's wearing their hair in all these beautiful styles and they take styles and they just put a name on it now with not understanding. Welcome to the Start Right Here podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett. And on this show, we have enlightening conversations with BIPOC beauty pros who have carved out careers across the industry. From corporate and creative to STEM and entrepreneurship, our guests share their career journeys, the lessons learned, and offer helpful tips that you can apply to your own lives, whether you want to break into the industry, pivot, or continue building a successful career of your own. Let's get started with this week's episode. Hi, everybody. Today is the first of a multi-part episode on the power and the importance of natural hair. And I'm so pleased to welcome today Diane DaCosta, who is a veteran and CEO of Simply Beautiful Companies. She has a series of companies we're going to learn more about. And she's the co-president of the Natural Hairstyle and Braid Coalition with Diane Bailey, who we're also going to have on the show. Welcome, Diane. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure to have you. And we go back a little bit. So it is a great opportunity to talk about some of the things that I may know about you, but also learn a couple of things new. So where did you grow up and how did it shape your ideas about beauty? So I was actually born in the Bronx around Fordham Road area. And my family are Jamaican. So they came here in the 50s and they lived in Harlem. And then they moved to the Bronx where they bought a home. And my grandmother was actually an entrepreneur. She bought a lot of real estate. She actually was a cosmetologist. And she didn't open up a salon, but she did everybody's hair. So that was really my first introduction to hair through her and my sister, who at the time was the hairstylist for the family. And she's nine years older than me. So she actually made me do my own hair because I would always complain a lot because my family is very diverse. So in Jamaica, it's one out of many and many out of one or one out of many, <laughs> one love. So I have a lot of mixes in my family. Like my mother is actually Chinese, Jamaican, African, and Chinese. And my father has different cultures in him in Jamaica. So my hair texture was always different than my sisters and brothers. They all had wavy or curly, silky hair where mine was more like my father's. It was coarser and curly and coily and thick and big. So I always had to work a little harder 
at my hair. And my sister used to roller set our hair. <laughs> so my hair never came out. My hair was always, woo. So I didn't like that. And I would always complain about it. And she just said, well, you're going to learn how to do your own hair. So that was my introduction to just doing natural hair. And my family all had natural hair. Everybody had different textures of natural hair from smooth and silky and wavy to coarse, coily and Afro coily. The whole gamut of the family in an extended family and everybody. I mean, we grew up around each other because my grandmother had several houses and she would sponsor cousins and sisters and brothers. And we all lived in the same neighborhood. But also the neighborhood that I lived in at the time was very diverse. I mean, my friends were Black, Hispanic and Greek and Irish. And so it was always a mix, a melting pot of cultures that I grew up around. But when I grew up, I always gravitated to the Afro. I wanted to wear Afro. I wanted to cornrow as my cousins would sit across the stoop and my cousin would cornrow everybody's hair on the porch. And so I wanted to do that. I thought it was so beautiful. The Afro was so beautiful. And I wanted to wear my hair like that or something like it. I just wanted to do something else, not just whatever the way my parents or my sister wanted me to wear my hair. So I think at like nine years old, I had to start doing my own hair. But before that, I was already playing with my dolls and cutting my dolls and corn rolling and braiding my dolls and all of that. I mean, I look back and I have pictures of me with a scissor, a shear, and a Chrissy doll at like five years old. So when did you think that this would be your profession? So the crazy thing is I always did it. I did all my cousins. I started cutting my mother's hair at 13. And then I started cutting all the neighbors. And when I went to college, I was cutting everybody's hair. But at 16, I was reading Essence and Ebony and Vogue on my stoop. And I always dreamt of, I remember I saw John Atchison's name on the side of the Essence magazine. In the credits. Yes, in the credits. And I was just like, I want to do that one day. I wish I could do that. I want to do that. But that wasn't something that my parents would ever consider me doing because I'm from a Jamaican family. So you had to definitely go to college. It was not an option. And you had to get your master's and you had to be whatever I say, a doctor, lawyer or Indian chief. That's what I always say. So that was not something I aspired to do as a career. I originally studied accounting, believe it or not. And I went to Catholic school my whole life. And I actually wanted to be an architect. I was drawing, sewing. I was the creative one, singing, all kinds of things when I was younger. And the school that I went to, Cardinal Spellman, the school is all white, maybe 20 in my whole class who are Black and Hispanic. Maybe a little more, maybe 50. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's like five <laughs> people in the class are Black and Hispanic out of 30 kids. <laughs> Guidance counselors, of course, were all white. And they were like, no, you can't be an architect. You don't even have a portfolio. You can't do this. In high school? Yeah, in high school. And so 
at the time, I was just like, mm, yeah, I don't know if I can't do it, but I do not have a portfolio. So I believe them. I mean, I could have whipped something up and applied. Who knows what would have happened if you just said, oh, well, try it. But it was more academics, like you were going to be a lawyer, a teacher or whatever. I actually was very good in math. I was an A student in math and I love math. I don't know why I picked accounting, but so be it. I picked accounting. And my godfather was friends with the largest Black accounting firm in New York City. So I had a job waiting for me if I fulfilled this goal. So I did it. I went to college and I studied accounting. And it wasn't that it was hard. I just hated it. I hated everything about it. I worked at an accounting firm in the summertime and I was just like, oh, I can't do this. I changed my major to computer science. Who knows why? Computers was the time, the thing. They were hot at the time and knew. Yes. Couldn't do that. I was like, I got to the first intro, maybe two courses of that, I was fine. But then when it got to the real nitty gritty, I was like, oh my God, my brain is exploding. I'm like, I can't do this. And I was always doing here on the side in college and out of college. And I had a mentor who was a fashion designer. She just said to me one day, Diane, why are you studying computer science? You are an artist. And I just said, because of whatever the reason is. And she's like, you need to be yourself. You need to be an artist. And I then changed my major because I was failing. I was failing computer science. I was going to get a D. I did get a D, but I changed my major and I changed it to marketing and advertising, which is more creative and advertising and the brainstorming and creating campaigns and all of that stuff. And I, I was an A student, but I was still doing hair. I was doing fashion shows and doing hair for fashion shows and all of that and doing clients and I got a job in marketing and PR. Okay, so that was your first job and this will be easy because now it makes sense. What did you learn in your marketing career that set you up for success as a hairstylist? Well, I mean, I use marketing in everything I do now. I mean, accounting and marketing was the road I had to take to own my own business. And even just all of the campaigns that I create, the fashion shoots, the marketing materials, and all of that was something that I love and I apply it to my business. Every day I'm coming up with all types of campaigns, beauty campaigns, just marketing materials, how to promote yourself, all of that. And getting into actual hairstyling was a hard decision for me to either go into beauty and cosmetic marketing or music. I also love music or go to cosmetology school and become a hairstylist. So I struggled. So when did you make that decision? I was 27. So you worked in corporate for a minute and then made the decision. Yes. And I went to cosmetology school while I was in corporate America working in PR and marketing and advertising. So I was full-time working, part-time going to school. And the light bulb hit me after I graduated. I said, well, I need to get out of here. I need to go do hair. 
I need to get a job where I can do it. <laughs> but I was still in that corporate mode. I really wasn't fully bloomed as an artist yet. And so I actually took position as a manager of Black Hair Is. Oh, okay. The chain of hair salons. But it was really a glorified front desk coordinator. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like, what is going on here? In my mind, I was like, I'm coming from corporate, so I'm going to be a manager. I'm going to be creating, doing all these things. I was like, these hairstylists were like ordering me around, telling me what to do, get them this, blah, blah, blah. I was just like, I need to be them at that point. I need to be a stylist, not a manager. (laughs) Because even though I went to school for marketing and management, I'm like, no, this is not going to work for me. So I then went off to start my career as a stylist. And I had to start at the bottom. So I knew some people in music and they referred me to a salon called Britannica. Do you remember Britannica Salon on Lexington Avenue? I went there to be an assistant because I knew I had to get my foot in. No, I kind of know the name, but I don't remember it. Andrea and Britannica was the name of the salon at the time. And somebody referred me to Andrea, one of the owners. And she actually told me I cannot be an assistant. I couldn't get the job because I had a college degree and that I wasn't going to stay there. So she's not going to hire me. I mean, I was far from owning a salon at that time. I mean, wasn't even thinking about it at that point. And yeah, I was devastated because I just want to be an assistant. I just want to shampoo hair. That's all. I just want to learn. So anyway, I moved on. I started training with some other like head stylists in New York, and I got another assistant job at Rubens. They were famous for silk pressing at the time. They called it something else, but silk pressing, and they used to do the ponytail braid, the Sade braid, but they would braid it in on the top, and then it would be thick and long. So that's what they were famous for. And I started out as a front desk assistant and a boutique salesperson. (laughs) Back at the front desk. (laughs) They wouldn't even let me touch hair. I was there for maybe three, four months. And then I said, I'm going to have a talk with the owner because this is ridiculous. I need to shampoo people's hair. And Walter... I forgot his last name, but he was an older gentleman. He studied under Sassoon. He was one of his vice presidents, but he was renting at the time. And he took me under his wing. And then he just started mentoring me and so on and so forth. And then I went out and got an interview with Canaps, Adamola Mandela. So this is maybe one year after I graduated. It was moving very fast. I got a position, a trainee apprenticeship with Matt Adamolaman. I remember Canaps, yeah. Yes. And so I went there because the other thing behind my whole journey with being natural is I always wanted to lock my hair. And so I had cut all of my hair off prior to that when I graduated from school at Canaps. I lived in the Bronx and I went to Brooklyn and got my hair cut off. 
This was before I even became a hairstylist. So it was like a full 360 degree moment when I actually interviewed and I got the apprenticeship because now I was going to be working at the place where I knew I felt comfortable. Like I knew I cut my hair off. I knew I wanted to lock my hair and all of these things. So I was very excited to work there. And I did a barbering training program for three weeks and learned more technique of coiling and twisting and locking because I had my own experience from my family doing twisting and coiling and things like that. But to master the technique, I had to train. And I was really dying to train under somebody. I needed a mentor. I firmly believe that mentors for at least now, one year, at least back then it was two years for somebody to take you under their wing and just take interest in you and show you the correct technique. Because when I got there, I had no formal training whatsoever, just beauty school training, but I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) And I thought I was just like the best thing ever. So I went there with my clippers and I brought my cousin to be my model. And I just started cutting and he observed everything that I was doing. But I took like almost 45 minutes to do this cut, maybe almost an hour. And it looked good, but the technique was horrible. So he came over to me (laughs) and he just said, that was horrible. He basically said that, not good at all. I mean, I was crushed. And I said, why? What are you talking about? It looks good to me. And he said, you took an hour to do that cut. You have to do that cut in 20 minutes. And I was just like, okay, I see what you're saying. And I thought I wasn't going to get in because I was the only female. It was all guys. But I made the cut and they took me under their wing. It was three gentlemen, two who were the trainers and then Adam Mola. And he would come on the floor occasionally and then watch you. And then he would gravitate to you and then give you pointers and tell you what to do. And I was just like, oh, what? I can't believe this. This man is like actually training me. So that was my first introduction to the natural side of perfecting my skills as a cutter in barbering and natural hair styling with twisting and coiling and all of that. And prior to that, I was an assistant in the Bronx with another hairstylist who taught me how to do the Marcel irons and how to do color and relax and things like that. But I didn't really want to do relaxing. I just wanted to color and cut. Gravitated to natural hair because I was actually going through my spiritual journey and my holistic eating and all of that. And I cut off all my hair and I actually wanted to lock. So I was gravitating to that field regardless. So when I got there, They closed in like six months. I did a few photo shoots and I worked with some celebrities and some artists, which was great, but they closed in like six months. Now I had to find somewhere else to work. (laughs) So what's really interesting is that if you're not from New York, you don't know back then the power of locks and chops and canaps and comic kink. Way before like the natural hair movement, New York had this amazing echo center of natural hair. Brooklyn was the mecca of all things natural and all these salons that were so 
beautiful and flourishing and so prosperous. And everybody had natural hair. Everybody. It was the thing to have. And I remember when I saw Knapps, like after I graduated, and I was like, when I cut my relaxer off, because I had a relaxer from 11 to 25. And I said, I'm going to Brooklyn to Knapps. And it was all in Essence magazine at the time. So everything you knew came from Essence. Absolutely. And I went there, I got my hair cut, and I was just so happy <laughs> to just be in the Mecca of everything and being part of it and just getting that haircut at that time. And to end up there and then have to leave, now I was lost, really, because I thought I was going to work there for like at least five years or something like that or more. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. But the interesting thing is Essence was always in the mix of everything. Obviously, we would go out all the time and network and things like that. And I met Peggy Dillard at an event, I think even before I started training at Canaps. I told her that I was a hairstylist and I would love to work for her one day. And I was in beauty school when I met her. So she said, when you graduate, come and see me and we'll talk. And so when Canaps closed, one of my friends reminded me that she invited me to come for an interview. And so I went. I made an appointment with her and I went and she looked at my portfolio because at that time it was a book. I had a portfolio which I created to take around. I just did like the photo shoots on your own. You got all the people together and then you did that. She was looking for something specific at the time. She was looking for a braider. Of course, I knew how to braid, but I wanted to cut and color natural hair. Cut and color. That's all I wanted to do. And she looked, she flipped through and she saw some braids and she's like, you know how to braid? And I'm like, yes, I know how to braid. Well, that's what I need. I'm like, are you sure? (laughs) You sure you don't have anything else? And she's like, that's the position I have. You do that and then we can talk about moving on. But you have to do locking, braiding and twisting natural hair. So I said, yes, of course. Peggy's salon was called Turning Head Salon in Harlem on 135th Street, and it was in the YMCA building, and it was Romare Beard's painting. He had a mural on the wall, and it was like a landmark. So we were in this space, a very creative space. I mean, I had a ball in there. I learned so much, and it's just being in the atmosphere of where I wanted to go, because remember, at 16, I was like, I want to work for Essence Magazine. And then here's Peggy, who is a supermodel, who's been on the cover of every magazine. So whether I wanted to braid or not was not the issue. I was going to work there. I had to put myself in a place where I knew my dreams could come true one day. Really interesting. And I was just talking about this last night because I was in Harlem. The attorney head was in the Y in Harlem. My grandfather was the manager of that Y for decades. His name was Sidney Henderson, and he was the manager of that Y. There was a school in that Y for, like, it was an alternative high school, and that was my mom's first teaching job when I was in elementary school. 
So we used to go in that building all the time. So when I went to see Peggy, I think I was at Elle at the time when she opened that salon. And I went there and I was just like, oh, God, this building brings back so many memories. And I think my grandfather was still alive at that time. So how has the perception of natural hair changed and evolved? I will say the 70s, 80s, and even in the 90s, it was something that was not a difficult choice. It wasn't something that we struggled with doing because we didn't care if society was telling us we couldn't do that because we were working from the journey and the spiritual side of it, I think, and the cultural aspect of wearing your hair, braids and locks and twists was just an evolution that was natural. It wasn't forced. And I know this wasn't all over the country. It was mainly in the East Coast, mainly in New York and D.C., basically. Maybe Philly. For sure, because braids were really big in Philly. Artistically wearing your hair, especially in the 90s and the hip hop era, was just more of our artistic freedom of wearing your hair. And everyone embraced it who were natural always. Maybe they pressed their hair and then they braided it. They've been braiding for a long time, had an easier transition of trying the other styles like the twisting and the coiling and all the African styles that we simulated and created into a more modern technique. And in those days, we always recognized, we understood the history of where the styles came from, and we always recognized and gave acknowledgement to the technique that we were lending ourselves to recreate at the time. So for back then, I feel like it was just a natural progression from the 60s, from the Afros and the cornrows to now freely express ourselves without any barriers in our community. I mean, I was a hairstylist, so I could wear my hair anyway. Nobody was going to say anything to me, (laughs) except for when I started working in white-owned salons in different areas of town, like Soho and Tribeca and Chelsea. Then when I would go to like banks and different places, I would see the difference of when I would wear my hair maybe in a weave versus braids or even just my natural coily fro or my curl and go or my wash and go. So as it developed into this maybe third wave of the movement, of the textured movement. I mean, there's waves of it because it already started in the 60s and from out of the pressing and the Black Panther movement and things like that to evolving to the 90s where everybody was trying everything. The hip hop, the jazz community, the neo soul with the Philly and the jazz artists and the Fugees and all of the hip hop artists and then the kid and play and all the different styles. It was expressive with creativity and entertainment. And so as far as the entertainers gravitating to it, that is the cultural movement where others would easily simulate that generation. And they were fierce. The exes had the opportunity to walk through the door because our generation opened it up. 
we might have had a little turbulence because our parents gave us the opportunity and then they just walked through it and like knocked it down. So I feel like now it's more of they actually don't know the history of the movement, the generation now that's wearing their hair in all these beautiful styles and they take styles and they just put a name on it now with not understanding. So Senegalese twist is now passion twist, but it has a different curl pattern because they have more choices of actual texture. They have texture now in all of the hair, all the synthetic hair and human hair has an abundance of texture that we didn't have. We had to use straight hair and make it into something where now it's so easily accessible and acceptable. So the generation, and I know my nieces don't even know the history of some things. They're always asking me, how did that evolve? How did that come to happen? And they're in their 20s. I'm like, wow, you guys really don't know how this movement happened. And with the internet and obviously the YouTubers and the bloggers and the bloggers, there was a resurgence of the movement, but claimed by them. (laughs) It was claimed by that generation. This is really important. (laughs) Because of the millions of them on YouTube and blogging. So a lot of them really believe that it started with them. Well, that's why this series is important because it is the journeys and the history just from your experience, but I mean, I'm going to be talking to a couple more people is so rich. And as I said earlier, if you didn't live in New York, if you don't know some of these names, but there are people who do. And this is when the work that Mickey did with the hair in essence was really driving the country, those natural hairstyles. And it was deliberate. Very deliberate. And it was very well executed. And people looked to the people who didn't have that cultural space, that cultural example in their town, and then had it represented in the magazine so that they could say, okay, this is what I want. This looks good. This style. And the inventiveness with which those styles were executed was incredible. And it's sad that magazines don't have that kind of weight anymore. And so visually, it kind of like comes and goes. It's like a little minute here, a minute there. Nothing is sustainable. So you can find something, put it on your Pinterest board, but it doesn't have the same cultural weight. Yes. The internet has taken over. So everything is put on there. But when you see it in a magazine, For example, I worked freelancing at Essence for like 15 years straight because I was always called upon to do, at the time, color locks and twists. That was who I was for Essence, locking, twisting, and color always. So I got the opportunity to freelance there. Like every other month, I was doing a photo shoot every two months being included in any books that came out that really drove the culture. And it was always a variety of styles and everyone in, of course, New York who had a salon that was nationally known now because of Essence. So 
the clientele that I and everyone got at that time were coming from all over the world because of Essence. And this was the impact that Essence had at the time. And there were relaxer styles and there were natural styles, but it was a mix of everything. And it was so authentic and beautiful. And I was in there for a long time and saw many changes happen with the beauty department. But once you get the call, you create. And once you create, then you bring the style, the next movement of what is happening in the streets, basically, on the ground of your salon, because you're creating every day and you're bringing it now to a space that is going to be seen everywhere. So it was a beautiful time. It's amazing. So I used to do a lot of freelance writing at the time. It was after I left Elle, I freelance for Essence a lot. And I remember interviewing you, Pamela Farrell from NDC, Locks and Chop. Like I did a lot of beauty hair stories back in the day. So it brings back really good memories. And I think that people do not know just how influential and powerful these natural hair waves were. So many waves that we have to acknowledge each wave because it takes us to the next moment of time. And so we're in a wave now, and it's not the end of this wave because we're always evolving, always moving to what is next. So acknowledging what's going on now is always something that we have to go back to because we are in a moment now where things are being taken away from us. And every step we take forward in the last 30, 40 years in the movement is now we're at a point where how are we going to sustain this? Because there's so many laws being taken away from us right now and trying to suppress the way progress should be in the hair industry, in salons, in empowering economic pathways, as well as wearing your hair in your authentic self creatively. We are, we've come to this point now through the history of it, and we're up against it again, like in the 60s. It's like throwback, actually. <laughs> and because they don't know their history, They think this is something new and they don't know how to address it because they don't know what it took to get here. So this is some of the things that we are dealing with now in the Natural Hair Style and Break Coalition every day. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Start Right Here podcast and leave a review. Also, you can sign up for our mailing list at thebeautyroundtable.com so you will be on the know about all the good things coming. Before we go any further, I really want to talk about the space you're creating in textured hair education and how you're influencing that, how you're making sure that people understand textured hair in a larger context. So you can talk a little bit about that? Yes. So... I wrote my book in 2004, Textured Tresses, on Simon & Schuster, published my book in 2004. And I work with an amazing editor. 
and she pushed to make it as authentic as possible at the time. And I did my book in 2004. I started writing it in 2001. And Diane had already done her textbook in 1997. However, I never read the book. I never read her book at that time. But however, both of us were talking about texture as a curl pattern and distinguishing different types of hair textures versus what we were taught in school, which was texture is fine, medium, and coarse, and that's it. And at the time, and when I had my salon in Diaspora in Midtown in the 90s, I was working with all texture, obviously, because I was a natural hair textured expert. And this is what I had my epiphanies about all the time is that what I learned in school is not what texture is. Texture is what I'm working with every day, what I can see and feel to the touch, the curves and the coils and the spirals and the feeling of it and the look of it. It was like the curls and the spirals and the smoothness and the roughness and the silkiness and all of that was texture to me. So when I used to read all the magazines, mainstream magazines, the white magazines, I would see them talking about texture as something they put into the hair because it was always straight hair. So they made a curling iron, did all these things, and they say, this is texture. And I would get really, really upset. So that was one of the reasons why I wrote my book. I said, no, 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 we got to set this straight. But really, we were all who worked in texture, all thinking about this at the same time, obviously, because that's how the universe works. We all have these ideas of who are creative people are creating and thinking about movement and innovation and creating different things. So I set out at that time to write my book and to distinguish and identify texture as it being all these wave, curl, and coil, and Afro-coily patterns. And for me at the time, it was tightly coiled. Was I went from straight, wavy, curly, coily, and tightly coiled. And that was the foundation for me to get into more of texture because I live and breathe color and texture. I dream in color and I dream in texture. Like I see everything texture. I pick up all of the textures. I was in the airport and they created a bamboo pillar, cemented it, and then made it white. And I saw the bamboo's texture, the waves in the bamboo as I was walking. And I was like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. That texture, that texture is so gorgeous. So anyway, that was just how I see texture. I've been working with a lot of brands throughout the 2000s to introduce texture and how it relates to products for many brands. And last year I worked with Tresemme to create a texture certification program first to certify all of their artists, their pro stylists that work for them so that they can be certified in the knowledge and the education of texture. So every Tresemme artist who does award shows, fashion week, TV, they have to take the course. 
And I created a course on my website online called the Tresemme and Simply Beautiful Texture Certification Program that everyone that works with Tresemme has to get certified in. So it's a digital course and it's video and content. So that is the educational part of everything I've written and innovated and created and established till 2022, 21-22 is now on this platform because to create that platform and then make it digital is where I had to bring in all of my team to put it on a digital platform because I have the vision, obviously, and the, the content, but I have a team of people that I work with to actually put it on the platform. That was just one component of it. And then Tresemme did a study about bias and salon and stylists. And 76% of them said that they did not get any education. They needed more education in texture. This is not new to us because we already knew that texture was never taught in cosmetology school and it still isn't today. When we talk about the advocacy, you'll learn more about what are we advocating for and texture as it is known today is still being taught the way 50 years ago in cosmetology school. So nobody coming out of cosmetology school all over the country is learning anything about curly, coily, tightly coiled and Afro coily hair. They're still learning about straight and wavy hair. And that's it. There's no mannequins, even though we have mannequins now with the textured hair and professional brands have educational platforms and they use mannequins now over the last two years, three years, it's still not being taught in schools and they don't have to teach it because it's not on the state board. So basically when you go to cosmetology school, you have the book, the information is in there because I actually in 2016 and 2021, 22, I actually did participate as a contributor and writer to the Milady Standard Cosmetology textbook. So information was gradually being updated after 2020 when we had the whole Black Lives Matter and George Floyd's murder. Everybody became diverse, equity, and inclusion. So the Milady textbook actually now decided to include all hues and all textures in the complete textbook. That's wonderful. However, they're still not teaching it in the schools because none of the state board exams have been updated. So the material is there, the awareness is there, but because there's nothing on the state board mandating it to be taught, the teachers and instructors are only teaching to pass the exam. And whatever's on the exam, that's what they are learning. So it's a total injustice for the generation who are coming out. And they might know something about texture. Obviously, it's all over YouTube. They know they're doing it on their own, but they're not learning the proper techniques and the protocols and the procedures of health and safety and scalp disorders and tension and styling in a procedural way. So 
you might have the creativity and we all have some creativity heightened or a little bit. You don't have the technique, basically, and you're not being taught anything in cosmetology school. So Tresemme understood that they started a future stylist fund to give 10 stylists a year, $10,000, total $100,000 for cosmetology school to help Black women get opportunity to the industry, as well as help them with their tuition, because tuition is basically $20,000, anywhere from fifteen dollars to $20,000 to cosmetology school. However, they discovered that while they were doing this initiative, nobody was going to learn texture in the cosmetology school. They had a good intention, but there was no training. So then they created, with myself, the texture certification program, where now they offered the digital platform to a thousand stylists and the first, I guess, a hundred stylists would get one-on-one training with myself and two other stylists, Lacey Red and Redwood and Navasha, who are the Tresemme celebrity stylists. So I created this one-on-one platform and I taught cutting, texture, knowledge and identification, and they actually did their styling techniques of texture, how to style texture. So that was brought to the platform in 2022. And so it's a yearly certification for their stylists, yes. And we'll see how much more will develop. But right now, the digital platform is there for their stylists. But that was the first time anybody offered to the first thousand stylists who signed up to take this webinar course, as well as this digital platform where they would get 12 modules of texture, knowledge, identification, styling, like three different textured styles and two cutting techniques on one digital platform for free, basically. Unilever and Tresemme gave this to all stylists who signed up and could get on there. And then giving the $10,000 to 10 stylists. It's a great initiative. Obviously, we wish they could give to more stylists because they come from all over the country. Maybe New York stylists might need more and might not need it as much, but the rest of the country, they need this education. And certainly, Texture education is the most important initiative because it's not being taught in cosmetology schools. So the Natural Style Great Coalition, this was our initiative from the beginning. From 2020, when all of this was happening, I started a campaign with Change.org, Teach Texture Education, as well as other stylists who lived here in New York and other places, started campaigns to break that wall down and that barrier on the state level so that in New York, you actually have to change the law. It's not like you can just go to the board and plead your case and tell them the book is updated and all of these things. And then there has to be laws changed. And the Natural Hairstyle and Great Coalition, Diana's going to come on and talk to you about that. But she was one of the pioneers who got the first natural hairstyling license advocated for and got the bill passed 
1993. So here we are in 2023, which is our 30-year anniversary for the natural hair styling license. And there's no texture in the cosmetology license. However, there is this license that has been around for 30 years and nobody knows about it. The first natural hair styling license in the country, and maybe in the world for that matter, we have to do the research on that, but we know for sure in the nation, in the U.S., there was no other. It's the first. So education is always part of this journey because it's ever evolving and always trying to be stripped from us, the education part of it, to sustain us and bring us to the level of equality because we have to fight to just be here. It's very, very true. So our struggle is real. It's a constant thing that just keeps reoccurring because of the lack of the history. And even the legislators don't even know. They think they're doing something, but it's already there. We have to take acknowledgement of every step that we take, but there's so much more, so much more that has to be done because it's so complicated and intricate at the same time, but we're getting there. For people who are listening, this is going to be a series because there's so much to cover. So we're starting with Diane DaCosta. We got a little history here, but we also need to know about the Simply Beautiful portfolio of things that you're working on. So could you tell us what you got going on? Yes, my baby, Simply Beautiful. I had diaspora in 1996 to 2001, wrote my book. And then in 2011, I opened up Simply Beautiful Brands, which is a beauty, wellness, clean beauty, texture, specific salon, and a retail boutique. Of course, we carry hair care, tools, accessories from all brands that I curate to carry in the salon. But I have a restorative oil collection and 216, I created the microfiber towel, which I call texture turban. I reinvented it And now I have a dry glove, which is the microfiber dry gloves, which are specifically, it's for every texture of quick drying your hair, but for braids and locks to absorb because it's very hard to dry locks and braids. So I created a towel to just quickly dry your hair and then you can go over it with the dryer to finish it off. I sell that, but the wellness is something that has evolved into total wellness because I was always holistic and natural. Eating right and healthy has always been my goal in life and exercising and things like that. I mean, of course we have our moments, (laughs) but I actually had many injuries from car accidents and just the occupational injuries of joint arthritis, tendonitis, bursitis, you name it, I've had it. Hip injuries, 35 years of standing. And I had a moment where my hip actually just like gave out about two and a half years ago. 
So I was introduced to CBD and that's when it was becoming of age here in New York. And I was introduced to CBD and pain creams, like edibles and pain creams, like gummies and pain creams. And because I have my boutique and it's a wellness, I started retailing it, started retailing the gummies and the pain creams, which the pain creams along with my chiropractor, my Pilates instructor, and my massage therapist who use the cream with the CBD and THC in it, basically, I want to say I have no more pain. When my pain level was 200, sometimes 100, and sometimes 50% of my body pain every day, I was always in pain. It was something I lived with for the last 25 years. If I was in pain, it was always how much pain was I in today? And some days I would have no pain and then I would feel weird because I would say, why do I feel like this? Because I didn't know what I felt like anymore because it was just always pain. So once I got on this new journey and I had to get a new chiropractor who was actually a sports medicine chiropractor who understood structure, bones, and ligaments and tendons and things like that, I hit the right person in my life to actually let my body heal itself with different modules of exercises, as well as restructuring the way I did hair and the amount of hours I did hair because I was still doing hair like six days a week, (laughs) all day long (laughs) at whatever age I am now, which is crazy and still doing all these other things. So the wellness was an evolution of my next step of coming into this new path of CBD. I am a licensed retailer of CBD. And then I created a whole tea experience. I have CBD teas that I created for sleep, for beverages, and then for digestive issues, because I also have like allergic reactions to everything I eat. So I have a peppermint and ginger tea. I have an island spice, which is a sorrel tea, which is my number one seller. And I just came back from Jamaica and they put the stamp on it. They said, where did you get this from? This is so beautiful because I brought it to the villa with us to make as a refreshing drink every day. So now I make it in CBD teas and also non-CBD, caffeine-free teas. I have both. And that's the Simply CBD and Tea and Tings, our collection under the Simply Beautiful brand is my wellness collection of what we sell here at the salon and online. And I do also sell like pre-rolls and other gummies and edibles. I mean, we have everything, gummies, edibles, popcorn, pain relief, drinks, teas, and other things <laughs> that is legally sold in a retail right. store. Yes. So I have a lot of pain relief, tinctures, bath, body, and hair care, of course, body butters and all of that. Everything that has to do with wellness, beauty, bath, and body, we sell here at the retail store. And then we 
also service hair styles in texture, cutting, coloring. And I have a braider here now and another young lady working who can do all of the textured styling. And my journey now is focusing on the advocacy and the education and the master classes that will be introduced this fall with the Natural Hairstyle Embrace Coalition to educate from our work in legislation in getting the license uplifted and elevated, as well as getting more testing centers, as well as natural hairstyling schools and just awareness that many cosmetologists don't have to go to cosmetology school to style natural hair. And that is what has been happening over the last 30, 40 years is that we would go to cosmetology school and we wouldn't learn anything, but our specialty would be in texture. So when we talk about how has it evolved as a stylist from working in texture and evolving in texture to creating master pioneers and experts who are now the ones who are educating stylists, there still is that gap of non-education, formal education from the beginning of understanding. So many of the stylists now are still self-taught and they run with that because they don't want a mentor. They don't want to work in salons where they can get the formal training to go out into the world and be equipped from the beginning. And then there's just so much trial and error going on all over the natural hair industry because everybody is YouTube taught, self-taught, and no real unification of the techniques. And not to say that there's only one technique. However, there is one foundation. If you know how to do these certain basic things like parting the hair for different styles, if you learn that, you can do anything. It's like painting. You have a canvas. You have to know how to do the brush strokes and how to create the shadowing. It's not a mystery. There are rules and procedures. And this is so critical because for people who are listening, wondering why you need a coalition, I think that Diana just basically, even though you haven't heard everything that they're doing, made such great points about the challenges that natural hair industry is facing in terms of gaps in education and access and some kind of uniformity. And even if there is the access, they're trying to deregulate it all over the country. But, and I'm probably going to ask this for every episode, how do people support the coalition and join it? Well, yes, we have a website, is the NHB coalition.org and our IG page is the underscore NHBC. You can go there and follow our links to join the coalition as well as support membership and take our surveys. We have a professional survey and a consumer survey because there's no statistics gathered about 
natural hair stylists, textured hair experts, natural hair salons, black owned salons that are texture driven. There's nothing in statistics or labor statistics. It's only cosmetology. There's no real statistics around how influential in the $8 billion industry that we have created, the statistics are lacking. So we have created surveys to gather this information so that we have the numbers to go and advocate for everything that we want. Because our goal is to empower our community in natural hair care and the whole texture industry. Because the thing is this, texture and natural hair is not two separate things. Without natural hair, there will be no identification of texture. Natural hair is what we are all born with, whether you have straight hair or Afro-coily hair. It's all natural. We go into a category of now identifying what texture is over here, and now you are a textured expert versus a natural hair stylist. But all natural hair stylists are textured experts. So there's not one or the other. But in our industry, it has been separated because cosmetologists have to identify themselves in the cosmetology space now. Texture, it's a buzzword now. And so we have a separation of the culture. And it's all really a circle. It starts with natural hair. And then you have textured experts and you have natural hair stylists. It's a circle. It's not separate. It's not linear. It's 360 degrees. And we are here to unify the industry to understand that there is no difference of what natural hair and texture is, is how you implement it and how you want to specialize in it. Obviously, cosmetologists can cut. I'm a cutter, but I specialize in textured hair and natural hair styling. But I always wanted to be a master cutter. So I chose to go to cosmetology school. But for those who don't, they want to braid and they want to do locking and twisting and become a loctician. Why should they have to go to cosmetology school when there are natural hair styling license and braiding license where you get the foundation and the understanding of healthy natural hair care and scalp care. You must understand that for health and safety and protocols in salons, sanitation and sanitizing. You have to understand that you cannot have one without the other and transferring bacteria and germs. And you have to know how not to do those things. You have to know where to place your comb and not put it back in the head. All these little things, it's just so automatic when people are styling, but unsanitary and creating scalp disorders and bacteria in the scalp and the pressure of styling different styles. They're all beautiful styles. They're fantastic and creative, but you have to know all of these intricacies to prevent and have consumer care and safety at the end of the day, to prosper and to have abundance 
And that's what we all want. We want prosperity and abundance, which is there for us. So you will prosper and you will create more of your community and your customer base. And I know a lot of clients still go and they keep going until their hair starts falling out. I have a lot of clients like that now. And sometimes your hair cannot be restored. You have to have a team of networks of doctors and trichologists and braiders who know how to braid without tension and all of these services to now restore and the knowledge and also the natural healing remedies that are going to help people to grow their hair back because they abused it from going to people who are not educated on the techniques and understanding how to identify what's going on with the hair when it is losing the hair and all the different alopecias that are out there. So many of my clients and the other stylists will tell you to the other guests that you have on there who actually specialize in alopecia. I even had alopecia from one year of wearing so on weaves that I did to myself to promote my business. And then I had other allergic reactions to different minerals that I was taking and different times in your life, like menopause. <laughs> there's hair loss, COVID. There's hair loss. How do you deal with it? And how do you identify it? And where do you send your clients? Because you are not a doctor. You have to learn how to identify what's going on with the hair and not continue to do the same style over and over and over because repetitive motion in your work will cause different ailments, carpal tunnel and tendonitis and all these other things. It's how do you stop and where do you go from there? So all of this is education because you will not know that unless somebody actually taught you how to identify seborrhea, psoriasis, and alopecia. All the different alopecias that there are, and the common ones, obviously, is traction and areata. Those are the common ones, but there's so many more, especially in Black women. 75% of Black women now, one in four, have alopecia. It's an epidemic now because of the styling that we're doing and the hair styles that we do, which are beautiful, but we have to know how to apply, install tension, and when to take it out, and how to take it out, how to remove it properly. So all of these things come into play with education, whether you're mentoring under a professional veteran or pro stylist, or you're learning some of it in your fundamental school in cosmetology school or right out of school where you're taking classes to understand all these things. This is not a trial and error type of business. I would not let anybody trial and error on my hair unless you're in a clinic under supervision and somebody is telling you, yes, this is what's going on here and this is what's going on there. In, in the times that we are in now, we're wearing our hair in its authentic self is so wonderful and free expression is the times that we're in. It's even more important to have natural hair styling schools available and open, owned by Black men and women who have 
a stake in protecting our culture and our hair and our scalp. Because if you're owned by someone else, it's just a money's game. It's about getting them in and out and making the money versus the quality education and more so getting the exam updated so it has all the textures and all the hair care that must be implemented into the schools. So that's where we are now. And everybody's braiding in your house, in your school. And it's not like that hasn't always been because I was doing it in college, but it's the amount, the numbers. It's millions because there's more C's and millennials. There's a lot of them. So it is where we are now. We have a multitude of the younger generation who are hungry to make their money and they're moving so fast that they don't take into consideration of the education that they need. And they might be just doing it as a side hustle to get where they're going. And some of them continue doing it. But if you don't get your license and you don't get the education, really, you're putting yourself in jeopardy as well as your consumer. You're taking too many risks. I mean, one day somebody's going to sue you and then you have no insurance. I mean, it's just so much stuff that goes into it if you want to have longevity. I've been in the business and I want to say 36, 37 years. And of course, I started out in the beginning without a license. I was doing hair since I was 13, 16. I had clients. And a major part of my decision to not stay in corporate and to go into this path that was pulling me into creative styling was that I was making more money per day after work styling clients than I was in the day job. So that wasn't a hard decision to make. It's something that I love to do. It was an easy choice at that point when the pros and cons were right in my face. And so we are always going to start out the creativity of knowing that something is for you and that you love. And in this business, you have to love, love, love what you do because it's not an easy business. But everything you love will turn into and flourish always. And there's so many aspects of the business, so many aspects of the beauty and hair business that you can go into. It's not just working in a salon. Obviously, I've worked in every aspect of this business throughout my journey. And even writing and becoming an author was something I only had in my journal of something that one day I wanted to do. I didn't set out to be a writer and an author, but when you journal and you aspire to leave something behind in your legacy and you want to educate those who don't understand or don't know, and you're an innovator, you're going to choose many paths and the opportunities will be there. For me, I always had several opportunities at once. It's which path am I going to go down because I like doing all of them, but which ones are going to be careers and which ones are going to be hobbies? 
or something else. That's the beauty of the industry. There's so many opportunities and so many things that you can do here. That's very true. Well, for everyone who has listened here, so we will put the link to both the Simply Beautiful Brands and the National Hairstyling and Braiding Coalition on screen for the videos and also in the show notes for the audio version of this so that everyone who has interest in this subject as a professional, take that survey. Let's get the data for our community and let's make some changes. Diane, I can't thank you enough for your time. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. Follow Start Right Here on Instagram at start underscore right underscore here underscore podcast. And check out the Last Word newsletter for my latest musings on beauty and inclusion.